All right, well, good morning. Uh, thankful that we're all able to be here. I know that uh, it's been cold outside over the past, well, it was also cold in here uh, during the class, but <laughs> thankful that we're able to have this place inside where we can actually change the temperature and it can be warm uh, and we can worship together. I know there are a few that <clears throat> um, aren't here that are traveling or um, out of town, and uh, obviously we, we hope that they'll make it back to us soon. Um, I, I was thinking on the, on the way in when I was like walking uh, into the hotel, I started thinking, you know, during the winter time is when a lot of people start traveling. And then I was like, well, actually during the summertime, a lot of people travel too. And then I, I was thinking, but during the fall, people like to travel because um, there's a lot of birthdays or it's like football, things like that. And then I was like, what are the springtime is also, and then I, then I just kind of concluded that there's always going to be people traveling. There's never a time where it's just like, oh, this is the time where we're all going to be together and nobody's going to be gone. There's no re- like we're, we all plan to be here every Lord's Day, but there's always times when people are traveling. So obviously we we hope that uh, they have safe travels. Um, and I know that uh, obviously there might be one or two that usually are with us that maybe they're under the weather or something like that, but um, not not sure about about that uh, right now. They have made those needs known at least, um, but we we have an understanding that uh, that the Lord knows their needs, and so we continue to pray for everybody that that uh, that we love that might be missing. Um, I know our reading was from 1 Corinthians 3. We're not going to turn to 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, we just studied 1 Corinthians 3 in our Wednesday night study. It has to do with what we're going to study this morning. So I thought we would just have that as a reading because I didn't want to have the reading be the actual text and then me reread it a couple of times like I'm going to do. We're going to be in Psalm 127, and that's pretty much the only place we're going to be. And it's a short psalm, and, but I think there are a lot of things that we can gain from this. Um, I wanted to go through this psalm because as I, I was reading through some psalms um, recently, and uh, Psalm 120 uh, starts off these song of ascents, and um, they are primarily written by David, it seems, but there are uh, maybe one or two that we don't know exactly who the writer is. Psalm 127 says it's a song, uh, it says it's of Solomon. That could mean it's either Solomon wrote it, or it could mean that David wrote it for his son, or about his son, Solomon. Um, and I think there's a specific reason that is a, possibly why it was uh, attributed to Solomon, but um, I'll mention that in a second. But a lot of these, and I think it goes through, I, f- I forgot which one, I think it's 134 is the last one. Uh, the so- yeah, the last song of ascents. Um, there are a lot of really good uh, lessons I think can be drawn from several of these, um, and it's just good to have a, the, this perspective. Uh, when you read through this, for instance, one an, another one I read through was one twenty four. Another one was um, uh, one twenty one, and I just I just found myself thinking these are great just to have uh, um, the right perspective. Whether it's on life, whether it's on difficulties, uh, conflict, um, there, there are a lot of reasons. But 127, I thought was very applicable, uh, mainly for a lot of the conversations that have been going on over the last week, involving uh, not just week, but last I don't know couple of years, involving the political atmosphere and the state of our country, and how that influences the state of our churches and our relationships with other brothers and sisters. Um, 
so I'll get into that in a little bit. But this psalm in particular seems as though it might be written because it is a um, dedication or the thought is about the temple that Solomon, the temple of the Lord that Solomon would build. Uh, some of the other ones are just maybe songs that were sung by worshipers as they approached Jerusalem. Maybe they were headed for one of the feasts. And as they, as they were along the path, these might be some songs that they would sing together. Things like that. But this psalm in particular really seems to uh, potentially be about um, the temple dedication and that, just that thought. Whether it was when it was built or whether it was before it was built or after, we don't know. Um, let's go ahead and read Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late, or, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The reason I thought the reading in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 10 through 14 would be applicable is because of verse 1 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In particular, the, the building idea, because that is what he talks about there, is there's a foundation, and that foundation, the only foundation that there is is Christ, and those who build, um, they can build with many different things. However, um, the emphasis seems, and we talked about this Wednesday, the emphasis seems to be that there are certain things that you can use to build on that foundation, uh, whether we're talking about in my life or helping someone else build on their foundation of Jesus. Some of those things can last and some of those things will not last. Um, there, there will be a test through fire and some of those things will get burned up. Um, but just understand that if you build and you continue building, there is a reward. Now, that could mean a couple of different things. That could mean that as I help build on, with, on someone else's foundation that they've laid um, in Christ, then as long as I'm putting that work in, then there's a reward for me. But the other way of thinking about that we talked about was that it could be just as I strive to build on my foundation, that if I use the right materials, that there will be a reward. Um, we talked about that uh, quite a bit Wednesday. I don't think that is necessarily what this is talking about, but I wanted to read that because I wanted to make the point that whatever he's talking about here in Psalm 127, the point is that the Lord must be the focus when you're building something. Um, what he says here is, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Let's just say he's talking specifically about the temple. Could people try to build something unto the Lord and it not be pleasing to him? Well, yeah, that, that happened. Um, and there was actually, if this was uh, for, if this was written by David for Solomon, David knows this more than anybody. David wanted to build the temple of the Lord, but God did not want him to. God reserved that for Solomon. So unless the Lord builds it, and I don't think that means the Lord's hands actually go and build it as much as it means the Lord signs off on this. The Lord wants this built. It, it's pleasing to the Lord. Unless the Lord wants it built, those who build it labor in vain. David would have been wasting his time to try to build that temple. God didn't want that. 
Another way of thinking about this might be that the thing that they were actually building was not approved by God and it was not good. So therefore, even though they might build it, it, it would ultimately fall. Tower of Babel, something like that. There was chaos and confusion because what they were building, I don't think it was righteous reasons that they were building that. Um, they had selfish motivation and that showed through. The Lord did not bless that. The Lord was not pleased with that. One of the things I also notice here is about this watchman. It says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. If I was going to put someone out there to stand post, stand guard over my house, over the city that I live in, um, I would make sure that person had credentials. I would make sure that person um, could stay awake and that he was going to be attentive and everything. Even if that person is perfect for that role and they, they do their job the best they can, even if that happens, if the Lord is not the one watching over the city, the city will crumble. They will be overtaken. With this first verse, I think really what, what we understand is that unless the Lord has signed off on it, unless the Lord wants it, it's not going to happen. Um, and... He uses the, the word vain three times in, in these first two verses. So I think that that's significant. Uh, and it, this really kind of makes me think of Ecclesiastes. So maybe just to take an ecclesiastical approach. Uh, I think that's a word. I didn't look that up, but um, I wrote it down and it didn't have a red line under it. So I, I think that it's a word. Uh, but to have that approach, um, this makes total sense. I mean, under the sun nothing stands up under the sun doesn't matter what you do um it, it, you'll be overtaken enemies will come in uh nothing that you build is going to last anyway but i don't think that's necessarily what he means here uh let's say that what he actually means is that you do have a spiritual perspective you are trying to have a godly mindset can things still be done in vain and the answer is yes you can have well in, you have great intentions but it can still be in vain. Uh, the timing could be a problem. Um, do you remember in the issue in Haggai where uh, the people wanted to build their homes? I mean, it, it made sense. Like they were kind of tired of just being out there and unprotected and everything. But the Lord's issue was you're going to build your home before, you're going to build your home with a, panel, a paneled house and everything without building my house. The order was wrong, the timing was off. If they had built the Lord's house first, then it could be time for them to build their house. But even then, the focus was like, build the Lord's house. But remember, we already said, God um, restrained David from doing that. So sometimes it's the person, and sometimes it's just timing in that standpoint as well. Really, the point that I get from this first verse is that, it makes me think of James 4, where you could have great plans, and they could be godly plans, not just like, I'm going to go to such and such a city, make a profit. It could be like spiritual plans. I want to go and I want to uh, teach people, I want to encourage them, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. If the Lord doesn't will it, it's not going to be fruitful. It's going to be in vain. And that can be hard for us to understand or accept. And I want to get into, into that in a little bit, um, what we should do about that fact, that if the Lord isn't watching over the city, or if the Lord's not building the house, it's all done in vain. We'll get into that in, in a second. So the first point that I do want to make is that the work of man is vanity without the Lord being the builder, even if it's good work. If the Lord is not the builder, 
the work is vanity. First um, Thessalonians two nineteen says, "For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at this coming? Is it not you?" So even this thing that Paul says, like, you are joy, you're our crown. We, we take joy in you. And the reason I bring that is because really Paul's labor with them, his work with them, was to be building something up, building up a, a temple of God, if you will. Well, why was that so uh, important to him? Why was that something he found great joy in, uh, hope? Uh, why was he able to boast before the Lord for that? Because it was the Lord's will that that be built. It was the Lord's will that that work be done. It wasn't because of Paul's great ability. And it wasn't because of um, how, how big it had grown. The only reason that Paul was able to say this in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 is because it was actually the Lord's will that it be done. So what should we do? How, how should we balance this out of like, I want to do work for the Lord, but if the Lord doesn't build it, it's done in vain. Well, I think the first thing is that we, we do need to try to take a look at ourselves. Are we the person for this work? Am I, am I the best way I can know how to say it is, are, are you a righteous person? If you're not a righteous person, then it's not a righteous work. And even then, we know in the New Testament, there were people who, they didn't really seem to have the best motives, but as long as Christ, Christ is uh, preached, then that's a good thing. But if you're thinking about doing the work, shouldn't you consider whether or not you are the person to do it? And I'm not talking strengths and weaknesses. I mean, like, are you actually, are you pleasing God in your life to try to go do something pleasing to him? Um, there are a lot of people that it seems to me, and I, I think I've uh, fallen into some sort of category like this as well, where the way they, they identify, how they identify with their religion and the way they really pinpoint spirituality is not really through their faith or through the change in life that they've undergone, through um, submission to the Lord and being humble before Him, but rather through acts of service. That's how they identify spirituality and religion. And for them, that is what starts everything, and it just builds from there. And that's just a wrong approach. The, the Lord doesn't seem to want all these things, and then you somehow fix yourself in that process. He doesn't want the acts of service and then maybe down the line you become clean and you become pure. What he wants is a clean and pure heart, Isaiah would say. The Lord didn't want those sacrifices because they weren't clean and pure. So when we see in the New Testament, we see those Pharisees. Now, did the Lord reject all the Pharisees? Well, no, we can't, we can't say that. But would, would the Lord have wanted those people who were not clean themselves, were not pure, but instead were were dead man's bones inside, would he have wanted them to go out and start serving and start teaching Christ and start uh, bringing people to Jesus? Well, I would think the answer would be, would be no. Not that he doesn't want the result of it, but that's not what he wants from them. What he wants from them is to first be cleansed. Then you can focus on the work. So the first thing that I would say is that for us, we need to check ourselves, basically. We need to just take a step back and see have, am I putting more of a focus on what I do as opposed to who I am and how I'm living and, and really the change that I've undergone? The second thing is that I, I do need to take a look at the work that, that I'm wanting to do. Is the work a godly work? Well, how can I know that? 
what, what, what can I do or how can I discover if that is a good thing? Well, this is kind of the tough one for me because the best thing I know that we can do is through prayer and setting our mind on things above. Um, when we see opportunities and doors that open, we trust that those are things that God would have us to do. As long as we see that they are good and that God has signed off on them in the scriptures, we see examples of, oh, this is what people that were led by the Spirit, these are things that people who were godly, this is what they did. And then we see some sort of thing that seems similar to that play out in our life. And we, we should just kind of trust that that's what God wants me to do then. So how do I define the work that God wants me to do? Well, the best thing I know to do is, like I said, prayer, um, meditation on God's word, set my mind on things above. And then I have to actually look around and take notice of opportunities. Even then, is it going to be fruitful? Is it going to be something where there's a lot of growth from that? Not always. But that's the best that we can do. And I don't think this is just a don't waste your time kind of thing. Don't, don't waste your time because it's vanity. I think it's more of like, make sure that what you're doing is, is pleasing to the Lord. And make sure that what you're building is something that the Lord is actually building. The passage I mentioned in First Thessalonians 2.19, that, that's not the only passage that, uh, that he says that. Um, we'll go to one in a little bit that's in Philippians. Um, but it's very clear that Paul felt strongly about these churches and these Christians that he, he labored with. Um, he cared so much for them. And sometimes I wonder why. I mean, I don't know. I don't, he definitely didn't have a personal relationship with everyone that was going to be reading that letter. So why did he feel that way? It seems like Paul was so consumed with the work of the Lord and his every intention was to please God and to do what the Lord would have him to do. He, he looked at his whole life as a sacrifice unto the Lord, that all the fruit and all the good things that happened, even if he didn't have a hand in it himself, brought him so much joy, brought him so much peace and hope that um, it, it, it drove him and, and inspired him, not just to do more, but to, but to um, make him keep going himself. That should be our goal as well, that I'm so consumed and wrapped up in the Lord's work and not just what I do, but what is done and what the Lord is doing, that it drives me. Not just to be, oh, I, I want to do more too, but just it motivates me with that, to, that I'll endure, that I'll be steadfast. That should be our goal. Uh, the second point that I want to draw from this first verse is about being watchful. Um, preparing and planning for peace, which is really seems to be the, the goal. Uh, you you want to have peace. You want to make sure that no, nobody's going to come in and overtake the city, overtake the, the house. But preparing and planning for peace without God's oversight is pointless. It's vanity as well. Philippians 4, 5 through 6 says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Jesus also says in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. This is at the kind of the tail end of Jesus talking to his disciples about him being taken away. 
Um, he's telling them that there will be a lot of persecution. There will be tribulation. It's going to be hard for them because they're going to be separated and feel lonely. He's going to be gone, so they're not going to have him. Um, bare minimum, that's going to be difficult for them. There's going to be worldliness that is all around them and, and so much more, but there's peace in Jesus. And that peace, Philippians says, that we have through God surpasses all understanding. So how can I have that, though? Well, I can't plan for that myself. I can't do everything I can do and just say, okay, I'm going to put all these things in place and then there's going to be peace. I can't use a few apps to make sure that my finances are good and that I remove all the cares of the world and somehow now I have peace in God. That's not how that works. Removing all the cares of the world just maybe sometimes helps me focus on the Lord. You know, we talked about we didn't really get to talk too much about the, um, in the parable uh, this morning about the, the seed that was sown in the, where thorny ground was. Um, kind of ran out a little bit of time there. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that that doesn't help us when we remove those thorns. It definitely does. But that doesn't mean that I should take so much comfort in, in those things being gone that I just think, well, God is obviously blessing me. This, this is obviously God providing this peace. I can't remove all those things and think that somehow I'm being more grounded and rooted in the peace of God. What I need to first do is pursue that peace in God. And what he says in Philippians is that it's by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I need to, we need to be so tuned in to speaking with God and being thankful to Him and having this perspective that my communication with God is something I desire, I long for. Uh, instead of the first response when something bad happens, I, I call my friends and I ask for advice. I mean, there's like three people that as soon as I have a question about something, as soon as something is difficult, I just know I'm going to go boom, boom, boom. And with one of them, I'm probably going to call him back to back like twice because I know that he's not going to answer the first time, but he could answer. And if I call him back, he knows it's serious. Instead of that and, and thinking that's going to help me be at peace and have a level of comfort, I need to instead pursue the Lord and, and trust that he watches over the city, that he is the watchman that I need standing post and standing guard. Um, I need to communicate with him. I need to trust in him. Not trust in my friends or trust in myself, trust in some apps that are really going to just take care of things for me. Only the Lord is going to provide that peace. So I can plan for peace and prepare as much as I want to, but the, the Lord is, is going to be the one that, that provides that. Everything else is going to be vanity. Well, now, verse 2. I think that this is kind of... Um, a, a little bit of both things in verse 1. Just to reread it. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. You can put all the work in you want. Um, and let's just say it's the watchman. You, you can be up early and watch over everything. You could be the last one to go to bed and everything, and, and that's fine. What, what they say about um, athletes, and I think it's even, well, it doesn't get said that much in the workplace, but it definitely said about athletes is first one in, last one out, right? I mean, first one in the door working on my craft. I'm the last one out. I was, you know, all of that. You know what? That can be vanity. It really can be vanity. Even if you have a good, um, like you have good intentions, like we said earlier. 
If the Lord is not the one working, then it's vanity. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I need to do everything I can to be ready, to be working, to be watchful. But the truth is, if I don't trust in the Lord, then what's the point? The Lord is the one that will provide that. The Lord is the one that will grant the, the, the growth. The Lord is the one that will build his house. And I, I need to try to line my work and, and, and my intentions up with what the Lord would have me to do. Then verses 3 through 5, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach to 3 through 5 because most of us in here don't have children. Um, and so I thought that we would touch on a couple of things that he does mention here, but then broaden it a little bit and just talk about how can we apply this to our lives. He says, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I think he's very clearly just saying that children are a blessing from God. And it's good to have a lot of them, is what it sounds like. Um, and I don't think that the lesson is everybody just go make a bunch of babies. And that's just obviously what God wants. He just wants that no matter what you do, no matter how they live, none of that. It doesn't matter. I think he's speaking in light of being someone that is over a city or someone that is building a house, something like that. It's good to have a lot of people that are committed to you, that are dedicated to you on your side. And who better than to have children to do that? Apart from the side that it is just a blessing to have children. Um, that's why I think he says like arrows in the hand of a warrior. You could put those you can put those children to, to work and get out there and they can do things for you. I don't mean work in the field as much as I mean they promote your name. They uh, promote your cause. They represent you when they're out there. And then he says at the end here that when enemies come to the gate, you know what would be really intimidating is if you have, I don't know, let's just say 12 sons <laughs> that go meet that person at the gate and they have their own families. That, that person better be coming with an army. That enemy better be really ready for um, a lot of people to be joining your side because your children are there and support you and they represent you and they carry on your name and your cause. But I don't think that the point is like, oh, they can go vanquish anybody that's around as much as it is they help provide this peace and they help build up the house even more. So the preparation here, I don't think is for a potential attack on a city, but it's really just for the future of the house that you've built or the community that you're part of. And he's very clear that children are a wonderful thing to have when that's what you want. Let's broaden that scope a little bit though. The point that I get from this is that influencing others in the Lord is a blessing to us. Um, and I don't know if it always has to be someone that's younger than you. I think it could be just anybody you influence. If you are influencing them unto the Lord, not just influencing them to yourself, but influencing them unto the Lord, that's a blessing for you. Uh, this, let's say it's a father in, in 127 here, uh, in 3 through 5. Let's say it's a father. Let's just, I don't know, let's say it's David. Were all of his children a blessing to him? No, definitely not. He did have a son named Absalom, and he did pursue him and kind of run him out of town. 
Uh, you think of Eli's sons or Samuel's sons. Um, very different circumstances, but you know what? One, they were wicked when he was there. The other, they became wicked after they were, you know, kind of their own men, if you will, they, when they had their own choice. They, all those people were different, and those are all examples of just, it's not always a blessing to have children. So that's not his point, is that, oh, that just solves it. But when you, but when you influence them and you train them up unto the Lord, and really, that just whatever is within your power to do that, that's what you do, then it becomes a blessing to you. There are instances where you try to do that and the child still is not a blessing. But that's really not, not something that's within our control, is it? That's not really something that you can worry yourself over. Just like you can't worry yourself over how long is it going to take to build that house of the Lord? And you know, how much control do I have over that? It's not about that. It's about the Lord building the house. Just like it's about the Lord and, and the way that he's blessed through, the, through those children. If my focus isn't just how much they represent me, but rather how much they represent the Lord, then I take, I take great comfort and I, and I understand that this is a good thing. And I don't take it as personal when they don't uh, pursue the Lord, when they're not um, faithful to him. And I know that's difficult. And I'm speaking not from personal experiences having a child or anything, but personal experience within my family of seeing people that are not faithful to the Lord and how much that pains the, the parents. But the truth is, if you, if you look at it as being a work of God, if you look at it as being um, someone that is trained up unto the Lord, think back to Samuel. What was the whole intention of his mother? I will, if you will grant me the son, I will devote him to you. What if Samuel had really just gone off the rails? I'm sure that would have hurt. That would have hurt Hannah. It would have hurt other people as well. But if her sole intention was, this is mine, but I'm giving it to you, God. Then it, it, it almost becomes a little bit easier, I think. Because you don't feel like, I failed personally. This is all on me. Again, going back to what I, the whole point of this, I think that if you have influence over people, you do the best that you can to bring them up in the Lord, and then you trust that they will be a blessing to you and to the Lord. The Hebrew here uh, seems to imply that children are a heritage belonging to the Lord and not necessarily a heritage given by the Lord. So I think that helps to distinguish this as well. Like, uh, don't think of this only as um, God is giving me a heritage, but rather that the children are a heritage that belong to God. I think in, in our English translations, it just sounds a little different. So let's, let's take a couple of other examples and let, let's see if we can um, broaden this and, and really take some application points. Who do we know in, in the scriptures that they had great care and concern over those that they, that they had influence over, but they weren't their children? What about Paul? Oh, Paul with Timothy in 1 Timothy 1-2, where he says to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And we see how much influence he had over people like Timothy or Titus. Um, I can only assume he had great influence over someone like um, 
Silvanus or someone else who was along when he was traveling, Luke even, as he recorded things in Acts. Um, and then, I mean, Barnabas seemed to have some influence over, over Paul, but Paul seemed to have a lot of companions that, that, uh, that we know of that were with him that he had influence over. Well, he needed to be very careful with how he influenced them. He needed to heed the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, where he says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. He needed to remember that. Although they weren't his actual children, they were people that, that he had influence over. And I have people that I have influence over. Sometimes they're younger than me. Sometimes they're older than me. Sometimes they're, you know, close friends. Sometimes they've had great influence over me, and now I see I can influence them in some ways. And we never need to take that for granted, and we never need to minimize that. They, they should be a heritage unto the Lord. I should view them as being people that I can help be drawn closer to God. And in that, no matter what, happens in the end no matter no matter what they wind up doing I won't be put to shame and just as another application point I think if we carry ourselves the way that we ought to when we're doing that then even if they let's say that they they just don't have the faith in the Lord let's say they they don't care about being devoted to God um, they they will not have something to say about you that will tarnish your reputation. If you carry yourself in a way of gentleness and compassion and being merciful and graceful, even if it means sometimes you have to reprove like a parent would a child, they still, and, and if they do wind up saying a bunch of terrible things about you, everyone's going to be able to see through that. I, I don't know about you, but I can tell when someone who talks bad about their parents is just talking bad about their parents because they're just a bitter, selfish brat. Um, but then I can tell other people who they see the shortcomings in their parents, but in the end, they, they appreciate how they took great care in helping them and bringing them along. And I think that'll happen as well with us as we try to uh, take great care with the people we have influence over. So maybe it's a little brother Maybe it's a little sister, maybe it's a niece or nephew, or maybe it's outside of the family altogether. Maybe it's someone you meet at a Starbucks. Maybe it's someone that uh, you're involved in some group or some organization and you have influence over them. Um, for me, I have several friends who have a, a few kids. Uh, I don't go, I'm not around them a lot, but as they get older, I think there will be some real opportunities for me to be an influence. And I'd be careful about that. Instead of just being like, uh, whatever, not my kids, which is kind of my approach when they're real young is not my kids. So let me have a good time with them and then pass them off for the actual training and, you know, correction <laughs> that, that they need, which is appropriate. But eventually I need to, I need to do certain things as if they're, they're mine. Not, I don't say I need to get, take them and spank them. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I need to be very careful with what I say to them, how I act around them. If it takes some correction and say, hey, you shouldn't do that. They, they trust me enough to where they know that I would be doing that for their best interest, not because they're just annoying me or something like that. And even as they get older, even as people get older, we still will have influence over them. 
so the children are the arrows, but verse 5 makes it seem like they're able to stop the enemies without there actually being a battle. And I think that's the same thing for us today. The people that we have influence over, if we carry ourselves the right way, we try to bring them up and to try to actually teach them in and, and, and the, and the ways of the Lord, hopefully that will bring even more peace to our lives. Hopefully that will stop a lot of the, the battles and the difficulties that we will encounter, that we, that we could encounter. Um, and I, I don't think it's because there are just so many children that they scare off the enemies. I think it's because they promote the name of that of their father or their parents so much um, and the reputation goes out that it makes peace with others, even the enemies. So what does this mean for us today? So just to take a few minutes before we wrap up. There are so many discussions going on on social media and just everywhere on TV and everything that I find very discouraging because I think it's their conversations with people who are trying to take control of things, control the narrative, control the situation. You know, this is the way it must be. And so, and for example, our government. Um, let's not act like it's just now in shambles, okay? <laughs> uh, let's just act, let's not act like, well, right now there's two different sides that are opposed. I mean, I, that, that's not new. It, it, it is, it's a, there's more, um, animosity that is out there it seems or at least it's talked about like there's more animosity the, the, the biggest thing that I think we can do is understand that I can have faith and confidence that the Lord sets up those that are, that are meant to be in charge and it's in his power but then he, I'm somehow granted a little bit of control because I'm, I'm offered the opportunity to vote and things I but with all that, I can understand that and I can you know, feel a little bit invested in it. But look, if the Lord doesn't will it, it's not going to happen. All right? And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. If the Lord doesn't will it, it's not going to happen. You only do what you have control over. And even then, don't take it personal. Don't take personal ownership of it to the point where you're so invested that if you don't do this thing, it's not going to happen. If the Lord doesn't do this thing, it's not going to happen. And those that you have influence over, be very careful with that. Be very careful with your speech. Be very careful with what you put out there to other people. Um, make sure that you carry yourself in the appropriate and respectful way, always upholding the message of the Lord. And what about in our just communities? And what about in our, um, in our families? Um, we should always be the type of people that instead of thinking about what I can do and how I can be the one that comes in and saves the day for the sake of whoever it is. Rather, I need to think of the Lord is the one that builds. The Lord is the one that keeps watch. I can't make peace. I can't make things be peaceful for people. Only the Lord can. And I can't make someone else build their life and build up their house of God, if you will, uh, the way that it ought to be. Only the Lord is going to grant that for them. So my responsibility is to be the best influence I can to be patient and understanding and to try to make peace with those people when, when I'm able to, as much as it is within my power. I want to wrap up with Philippians chapter 1. This is one of those other passages that I mentioned earlier where, where Paul talks about the people and Philippi in, in a way where you can just tell how much care he has for them and how 
personal, he takes it, but not because of his work with them, but rather because of um, who they are in the Lord. We'll read verses three through six. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who has began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We need to be very sure and confident that when we're dealing with people, whether it's people who have influence over or whoever it is, when we're trying to help them be drawn closer to God, that if God is the one that began the work in them, he will complete it. Um, if we began the work in them, then it's going to be vanity and it's going to dissolve. God will complete his work, and we need, just need to be laborers, kind of just, if it, you know, if you go to a construction site, sometimes there's just the guy that is standing down there handing the tools up, you know. If that's our role in that, that's fine. Um, it's kind of like the idea that we talked about uh, Wednesday night. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. So whether we're trying to have a great influence over people in this country, from a political standpoint, whether we're trying to have a great influence over those that are in our families because we realize that they are not living the way they should, whether we're out there and we're trying to teach people at work, whatever it might be, just understand, just understand that the Lord builds the house. The Lord watches over the city. And all we can do is try to, try to be devoted to him, make sure that we ourselves are who we need to be. And then be attentive and watchful for those opportunities that, that the Lord blesses us with. I hope that this is a little bit helpful uh, given a lot of the things going on and maybe some of your lives that I don't know about. Um, but I, I, this is where my mind was when I thought about uh, what we talked about Wednesday, but also with what's going on in our country. I get tired of the uh, discussions on politics, and I think it's because usually I'm just not as knowledgeable about the subjects or what's going on. But I've started realizing that even the more knowledgeable I get, that it doesn't help. <laughs> um, I still get frustrated, and I think it's because I take it too personal, and I take too much ownership over some things. Instead, I really do need to give things over to the Lord and just see how he wants me to fit into everything. Um, if you need something, whether it be prayers, whether it be that you need to repent for some sins, that uh, you feel like um, you are already trying to to live your life the right way you've already turned to the lord but you need some help in that and you feel like you owe that even to this group to let us know about that uh, we would love to pray for you we would be there for you if you need to devote your life to christ because you have been thinking about it and you realize that you haven't done that the way the scripture lays out then won't you let us know as we stand and as we sing